This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Support for this episode is brought to you by Mrs. Myers. A delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything we make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived ingredients, our cleaning products work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. So bring a little bit of the outside inside your four walls and bask in the wonder of a garden from the comfort of home. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Shop now at MrsMyers.com. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know what time it is. Raptors Republic. Time to call the doctor, son. The doctor is in. A duck talking rap stops and who fast like it's Christmas. The dropping points and make it fast that you won't be. Man, get ready to ball. Cause he's talking to you. He's got the food. Cutting out food. Give it a move. With a hoop of brains, big about the size of Ben Wallace's. On raps in public and a tune so click and read. Ooh, drop the pants and cough. Cause the doctor's in, so let's begin. Affiliate to ESPN. It's Rapcast with Ph.D. Steve on Raptors Republic. Ooh, yes, it's me, it's me, it's Ph.D. Steve back and smiling as the world looks good from this side down here in Oz. 3-1 to one, Toronto Raptors leading the NBA final. Seems like another uh, perfect timing for an episode of The Doctor is In and a reunification of the worldwide roundtable. So why don't we do that at Got out and grabbed a couple of, of familiar faces, and let's maybe talk what ha- about what happened in Oakland and what's going to happen next in the great city of Toronto. So this is The Doctor Is In. You're listening on RappersRepublic.com. I'm Steve Gennaro, the host, PhD Steve. And with me, as always, on the uh, border of Louisiana, Texas, is my brother Mike, and he knows college basketball. Mike, how you going? Uh, I'm doing uh, pretty good. I, I think most Raptors fans, if you told them we'd be up three to one heading back to Toronto, would be you know ecstatic about where where we are. But then again, we did tell them that this was going to happen. So I, I I believe we did. You know what's really funny there, Mike? I just realized that I'm going to keep this rolling. I'm not going to go back and edit it. I just spoke Australian to you on the uh, on the telly here uh, on the telly. Oh, uh, I did. I, I heard the hell's it going. How are you doing? How you going? Because you know, for for those of you in North America who are listening, go, go uh, know this. You know, no one says how are you doing in Australia. When you say how are you doing in Australia, 
people just look at you really funny. You're down here when you, when you see someone, you know, no matter who they are, kind of like saying, yo, or what's up, like as we do in North America, they just say, how you going? And I just, I just threw a how you going in there. I also threw an old, old Raptors Republic reference in there. I, what I introduced you is my, my brother Mike, who knows college basketball. Because <laughs> that was the, uh, the early introduction when Mike first started coming on the show. We had a segment called He's my brother, and he knows college basketball. (laughs) (laughs) We're reliving old times, and it's good. That was a 2013 uh, throwback. Okay, let's bounce to actual Toronto, where people say, how are you doing? And I got with me from the quarter blog, Blair Miller. Blair Miller, how are you doing? Yeah, boy! I am doing good. It's uh, it's actually a really beautiful, sunny day here in Toronto on what might potentially be the eve of a title here. It's such a juicy final so far. It seems, I don't know, it seems to me like every year maybe it's the media coverage that keeps increasing, but the storylines and the angles and the nuances are plenty, baby. I predict I'm going to say some cool stuff, but they'll also contradict one each, uh, one another a bunch of times just because there's so much going on. But I'm also just frankly giddy with change. Like, I like the Warriors. I'm a big LeBron fan, but now to have this much of a dark horse to most people outside of the North blast their way through and be at the cusp of a championship. When did that happen last? I, I, I started thinking that last night and looked up. I could think the close they came was like the heat with Young Wade against Dallas. I don't know. It's it's rare to see a surprise finals contender actually get through and win. Yeah. Pistons, baby. Yeah. Well, Mike, you called that a couple yeah. podcasts ago. It definitely yeah. Although the Pistons have been, uh, you know, I guess you could also argue the Raptors have been paying their dues in previous years, too. Like mm-hmm. the Pistons did, but it's a bit different, maybe. But it also, in both cases, it also took a coaching change to make it happen. Uh, we, uh-huh. we, uh, we, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to, to, to expand here. Just as you were pointing out, Blair, uh, the last time someone came from the North this surprising, no one's such a powerhouse on a dark horse and no one saw it coming. The answer is. Who is Genghis Khan? Okay, uh, who, who's missing right now is uh, is, is our good friend. Uh, and with us from the beautiful city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, is the brain from the South, Greg Mason. Greg, how are you? Being a genius certainly has its advantages. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Uh, it's a good time. It's a it's a good time. So the worldwide roundtable is assembled, uh, and as you know, I'm I'm in Australia. So we got America, Australia, and Canada all coming together to watch this beautiful game. And actually, those are probably the three countries watching it the most. I don't know if you know, but Australia's national hero Andrew Bogut playing some big minutes right now for the Golden State Warriors. That's actually making some news down here. And uh, you'll appreciate this, Greg. There was some coverage a little bit earlier on in the playoffs because. Uh, Ben Simmons is uh, another Aussie, so we got we had some uh, NBA coverage down here. But let's talk about the stories of the series that everyone wants to talk about and the moments that we want to talk about, and that is the Toronto Raptors go to Golden State, they go to Oracle, and they, as I've been saying, do the business. They don't just win one game to win back home court, which would have been massive and big enough by itself. They go on to take both games three and games four and now have a stranglehold on the series as they return to Toronto for game five. So let's start right now with just your feelings on maybe the series or you know where we are at this particular moment in the NBA Finals, and we'll go around the table. Blair, to you first. I guess I want to say two things. Um, one... There are two overarching themes of the series, and again, as I already just said, I might contradict myself a bunch of times for so many different story angles, but to me, one is obviously defense. I think defense has really been the determining factor in most of the games, if not the whole series so far, and also 
this will come up in series predictions, whatever, but I also just think the Warriors have no lift. To me, it's a very big, big situation. Like, you see it around the rim. I mean, props to the Raptors for their blocks the last two games. A lot of them were impressive. But a lot of them were also, like, face-up, like, jump shot blocks of the, or, like, you know, of the easier variety. Uh, a lot of them, they got double takes from me, as in Player X doesn't usually get sent back like that. Um, we've got Clay Thompson, who I thought clearly looked a little bit diminished from his hamstring. There were a couple loose balls he never dove for, uh, a bunch of other things. Uh, Boogie Cousins has no lift compared to the rim when healthy. Steph had tired legs after his Game 3 Supernova, but even you can't ask him for that. Iguodala had legs five years ago. Uh, Bogut's legs have been out, down under for years, and I don't mean that just because you live there. Uh, Looney was visi- Looney was visibly uh, visibly hobbled as well, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to. And if Durant comes back, it's the same to say he won't have his usual lift either, and he's somebody that depends on it with a turnaround jumper. And Draymond Green is really the only one right now, and even he looks tired. And I think one of the big themes for me is when I watch these games right from the start of the finals, but it gets worse and worse with the injuries and stuff, is the Warriors don't have any lift. They can't They can't seem to do much above the rim. They get, they're getting blocked a lot. They're getting contested very easily. And the opposite things are happening to them on the other side of the floor. Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, the series so far is sort of going as we had talked about uh, last time. And what I had brought up is, was that, you know, after two games, after game one and game two, and it was tied 1-1, the Raptors were by far the better team. You know, they had only lost one quarter. They had been outplaying, outworking a Golden State team that was down several players with injuries, forcing them to log heavy minutes. They continue to do what they were doing. They have been the better team. Uh, I think the they have, the Raptors have won. I have it written down here. Thirteen of the sixteen quarters played in this series. Uh-huh. Uh, so the, the Raptors have, have outscored them thirteen out of sixteen quarters. Uh, and if you take away that one uh, game two uh, third quarter. Um, and if the Raptors actually hit any buckets in the last five minutes of Game Two, this series is already over, and the Raptors are already, are already champions. Uh, they they have been a better team. They have outworked, outplayed, uh, and and just like Blair had said, this Golden State Warriors team is gas. Let's go to Greg. Greg, what are your what are your th- what are your thoughts and feelings right now on uh, on the series to date? I think obviously the Warriors' fatigue is a is a big deal and a noteworthy storyline. I think it's also important to point out, though, at the end of the day, even a Raptor, even a tired Warriors team, this Raptors team has been so impressive in their ability to hit big shots and show a lot of toughness and show a lot of, I don't know, intestinal fortitude in the moments when you needed it. Um for example, down the stretch of the last game, I don't know, I think it got to about nine points there at the end, and you have Pascal Siakam come down and, and hit a huge 17-foot jumper, as coolly as can be. You've got Serge Ibaka doing the same thing, just stepping up and making big play after big play and and proving to the world that they're a pretty legit basketball team even if they're up against the tired Warriors team. There's so much to love about the way this team plays as a team, the way they move the ball, and how guys are stepping up. I mean, Nick Nurse keeps a pretty short rotation, 
but I've been so impressed with Sergio Baca the last couple games and how clutch he's been, how confident he's been, what a difference maker he's been. So I've been really impressed by them stepping up in the really big moments when they need to step up and, and taking that blow or not letting the Warriors do their sort of signature comeback and strike you in the face and blow you out when you've been winning the whole game type of thing. They've just made big plays, made so many big steals the last couple of games. So just their ability to withstand potential blows and just show how tough and talented they are and what a formidable force they are as a unit has really impressed me. Yeah, I, actually, Greg, I, I agree 100% and, um, with what you're saying there. It, it, you've probably heard a lot, of, a lot of the narratives right now around the media on this, this very idea, but the down-to-business attitude of this team is what's really impressed me, this Toronto Raptors team. You heard a lot, a lot across mainstream, American media at least, after Game 4, all business. Raptors aren't satisfied with three wins. Raptors aren't even celebrating. You know, they're, they're focusing on the next game, winning four. Kyle Lowry said it himself, we will only won three games. We haven't won anything yet. And this goes back to this team's mentality after Milwaukee, after that second game in Milwaukee where they lost, went down uh, 0-2 to, to the Bucks. Something changed in this team. We talked about it in the last uh, first couple podcasts that we did. You know, they, they, their mentality was that they were going to come back and they were not going to be denied. And we just we continue to see that from this team. They will not be denied. Every time they, they hit a roadblock, they recover, whether it's Game 1 Orlando whether it's, uh, you know, Game 6 Philly, whether it's Game 2 Milwaukee, or Game 1 and 2 Milwaukee, or whether it's Game 2 against Golden State. When we see these moments when the Raptors look like, oh, they're about to, you know, uh, turn back into a pumpkin, for example, they're going to stop being this this, uh, NBA championship team, they come right back out the next game, and they show you why they are the best team in the NBA. And as I said at the beginning of this, uh, you know, the last podcast, the Raptors are the best team in the NBA right now, and it's not even close. Golden State got to the finals not playing great basketball. They did not look like the best team in the NBA. They were aided gratefully by Houston's implosion. Uh, you know, but you know, fair play to them. They still did the business to win it, and by facing a, a Portland team who was missing their best player and who also blew multiple games with double-digit leads. So uh, we we hadn't seen Golden State really, uh, you know. Um, play to, the, to their level yet, and we haven't seen it the whole playoffs, and I, I'm not sure we'll see it, but if we're going to see it anytime, we will see it uh, at Game 5. So let's go back and look at these last two games, Games 3 and Games 4 in Oakland, or at the Oracle, potentially the last games at Oracle ever, although that you know that's still yet to be determined. And let's talk about some of the big talking points uh, from those games. Probably the biggest news uh, uh, over the last week or so uh, during the, that span in which Games 3 and 4 happened uh, was the injury to Clay Thompson. He was injured, he was going to play, he wasn't going to play, and then, uh, you know, he ended up sitting out Game 3 and playing Game 4. You know, the, the clay injury. Let's let's go to you first, uh, Greg. So, I think it'd be crazy to say it. Um, it's not a significant story in this series, and it's not a huge thing. I think the biggest part, the thing that impresses me most about Clay Thompson, he makes shots when the team is struggling, in that moment when you really need a shot, when everyone else, for whatever reason, is sort of not feeling it, not clicking, he has this natural instinct to know how to just step up and hit shots when other guys are struggling. So that's a really big piece they miss without Clay. His quick release, him being an amazing shooter, all that. 
is really important, and obviously his defense as well. But his his ability to make shots in big moments and to carry the team when they need it the most is is a big thing. So he's a really important piece, and I think he's one of the more underrated players in the NBA. So if I was the Warriors, I would do everything to retain him just for all of the intangibles he brings, not just as a shooter, but in, in other elements. So yeah, it's it's pretty important and. Clay, I'm sorry, Steph Curry looked so tired in Game 4, I think, in big part because Clay didn't play in Game 3, and so much of that burden to carry the team fell on his shoulders. So it's definitely a big storyline. Yeah, you talk about making those big shots down the down the down the stretcher when the team needs a player to sort of to, to to get a bucket to break a bad time. Kyle Lowry plays that role for the Toronto Raptors uh, absolutely, and of course, uh, you know we saw the impact of him missing the final stretch uh, of Game Two and how much that hurt the Raptors when they couldn't make a, a bucket there. Mike, what are your thoughts on on the Clay injury and what it meant for the series? Game four, obviously, we, you know, we can discuss later, but you know, in, in Game Three, you you've already lost Durant. You know your your team is is going home. You're tired, uh, and now you lose Clay on top of that. You only got one of your big three scorers there. Draymond's not a scorer. Draymond Green will never be uh, the scorer. He'll never be known as as a big scorer. Uh, and and now you're losing all those intangibles that that Greg just said. And what happens in his place? What do we get? We get Livingston in the starting lineup who goes one for four in 17 minutes. You know, you're getting more burn out of guys like McKinney, who goes one for four. You know, uh, who else went in there? You know, so he, all the shots that he makes, all that time that he's playing on defense, that's that's a big deal, and it really deflated Golden State. And it looked like for the rest of the team that they were they were just pl- they were playing Will Smith basketball, right? Pass it to Will, and let's hope Steph Curry can just hit every shot and, and let's win, right? And that's what the game looked like to me. It just looked like we're just we're going to give it to Will, and he's going to either go thirty for thirty, and he's going you know score ninety points, and we're going to win this thing, or we're we're going to get blown out of the water. And that, that's what watching that game felt like to me. Yeah, uh, a lot, a lot of truth in that. But, uh, what about you, Blair? Yeah, just to—I don't want to say translate because I don't want to speak for Mike. But based on what Mike said, it, it reminded me of something Zach Lowe said. Um, you know, and again, uh, there are times here where I think I feel like I might be defending the Warriors a bit, but I'm also like the Raptors have earned everything they've got. But Zach Lowe said, like, Game Three didn't feel really like a Finals game. And the way Mike described it has kind of made me think that way. Is it's more like a regular season game, like a like one guy going off, like a Devin Booker type thing. And you know, it, in this case, it was out of necessity. Obviously, the stakes are higher. But I think missing Clay is was a huge thing, and it's not just on offense. I think it's more on defense. And in Game Three, when when Thompson was out, there were a lot of digs and weak stepouts instead of full rotations and chasing shooters off the arc. They'd show traps, and then they'd back out of them instead of committing, which is, you know, the death sentence that it was. Um, You know, and they are, after all, they were missing two of their three best defenders with Durant and him, two of the best all-around help defenders around, including Draymond Green. Um, And you can talk about depth all you want, but when you take those, you know, when you take that cog out, because, I mean, Clay, he's like a shutdown corner. He's one of those guys like Kawhi, like a Kobe, like a Jordan. He's one of those guys you can leave him matched up with the best guy and still expect some decent help. And it demands less rotation cycles mentally for the rest of the team 
And when he wasn't there in Game 3, I thought that really showed up, and they were in disarray on defense, and that's really what killed them. Let's add, let's add to this Game 3 storyline by talking about uh, Steph Curry's big game. Um, how good was Steph, and how much does this, I guess, like play into like the, the, the Steph getting, uh, not, maybe not getting the respect he, he deserves? Greg? I think that I saw a tweet after the game. I didn't double-check the facts, but... I saw a tweet after game four that said Steph is now 2-7 and seven in finals history without Kevin Durant, something along those lines. And again, it's, I think it plays to what you're saying, Steve. It's like the internet is full of, of assholes, and it's easy to spin his legacy somehow in a negative way. But anyone who knows basketball knows that he's been – more transformational for the game and how it's played than any other player in the last 20 years, in my opinion. Um, he broke the system, and now we have a new system. So I think smart people know and recognize his tremendous talent and what he's done for the game. He kind of gets on my nerves when I watch him, just in the sense of how much he jumps into people and kicks his legs out and does all that little stuff, but at the same time, he's 6'3", 190 pounds if he's lucky, and he's figured out a way to be, to put up 47 points in a finals game when he's the only offensive option, and he's one of the smallest guys on the court, so absolutely amazing player. Um, you're going you're gonna to see weird things come out, like the thing about his record without KD in the finals and things like that especially if they lose four games to one because that's how the internet works. But for me, he's the most transformational player that we've seen in the last 20 years. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and uh, to your point about him sort of he broke the game, I love that idea. And it made me wonder, how come no one's thought of like a nickname like Neo yet? For, uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on, on Steph Curry's play in Game 3 and uh, sort of how that plays into the, the narratives around the, the Curry's role in, in the game? Uh, so I think uh, a lot of what we think about Steph Curry is also a lot of what we think about uh, LeBron James. Because um, LeBron, you know, Steph's big 47-point game that he had in Game 3 um, was, you know, the most points scored by uh, a player who lost a game in the NBA Finals next to LeBron James, right? And we don't talk about LeBron's James game. I think he put up 51 points, and all we remember from that game is J.R. Smith grabbing the rebound uh, and running it out <laughs> and, you know, dodged the... You know, LeBron James looking at him like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, <laughs> that, that was the game. That, you know, we don't talk about that. But, you know, LeBron James is standing on his head carrying a team, um, and he's not getting the respect that he sort of deserves from that. And I think Steph is sort of the you getting that same sort of, of rap. Steph is a great player. He's being asked to do way more in this series than he's been asked to do in a long time. And that's not an easy thing to do, especially when you're on a team full of shooters, and one of those shooters happens to be one of the top two, maybe three best players uh, in a very long time in Durant. Um, you know, there's a guy who won multiple MVPs, and, and like Greg and Blair said, you know, like he could be easily Neo of the Matrix. He has, he has broken the game. He has, he has done things that no one thought uh, were possible, right? You know, like uh, uh, it, it's amazing what, what people sort of say uh, about him, but at the same time, we have, you know, this is also proving that he can't do it alone. As, as great as he is, um, and as great as LeBron is, right? Like LeBron can do a lot of great things, but he can't do it alone. And when LeBron has 
complementary players beside him, even if they're you know just barely competent, look how far he can take a team. And then when he's healthy and everybody else around him is healthy, look at the things that he can do on top of that, right? So I think the same thing uh, goes for Seth. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I wonder how many uh, non-intelligent basketball fans are looking at this series and uh, thinking about LeBron's legacy. I mean, because if you have any sort of sense of how basketball works, you can't watch this series and, and be like, oh, yeah, you know, Le- Le- LeBron uh, never wins anything because you've seen firsthand that it's not just about LeBron. I mean, when <laughs> any team who's who, who has just one guy, it's really hard to win an NBA title with just one guy. That's why, for example, you have three superstars in Golden State or you had three superstars in Miami. or <laughs> That's why guys are teaming up together because one guy can't win a ring. Blair, what are your thoughts on, um, on Curry and the Game 3 performance and his spot in, in the NBA uh, pantheon of greats? No, I I totally agree with what you were just saying, Steve, and it's been on my mind for a while. Um, just this idea, you know, I don't know that we need three superstars necessarily or whatever, but this idea that, um, you know, oh, Durant's hurt, well, whatever. They were a great team, and yes, they were, and I'm sure this will come up later, but they were a great team. They did this without Durant. Now they're just cheating and all this stuff, and it did feel a bit like cheating when it happened to most of us, myself included, I'll admit. But then, you know, you have to think of this in a proper context. Yes, we've got Steph playing on his own, but this is not the way the team was built. You know, as you said, you know, they need they needed Durant. You know, there's a reason why they brought Durant in. They weren't just coasting on their 73 wins and thinking, this will last. You know, and you see how other teams have caught up. And so not having Durant around, I do think it's, it's obviously super significant, but it, it kind of bothers me how Steph gets slighted because everybody just assumes, oh, well, they'll be fine because they were fine without Durant before. You spend a whole season practicing with this guy, building your defense, building your offense around this person. I don't care whether he's the best pure scorer of his generation, which he probably is or not. You take him out, it's going to be an issue for everybody. And I think what's super impressive is the adjustment that Curry showed. Um, Unfortunately, he fell back down to earth, so to speak, which is hilarious when you say 28 points, as you mentioned, Steve, in the following game because he probably, you know, used a lot of his turbo in game three. But for him to do that, and he said after the game, I can't remember who it was, but in the presser after the game, somebody asked him an extended question about, did you feel like you needed to take some extra opportunities without Clay out in and blah, 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 and did you feel like you needed to overextend and this and this? And he just looked at me and was like, definitely. Can I, can I add one thing on, on top of, of all of that, just for the... For, for everyone wondering about Golden State Warriors in the finals, like if we remember in 2015 when they beat Cleveland, Cleveland's second best player was Delavadova. <laughs> like Love was well, gone for the playoffs, and they were injury riddled too. That's the thing and, is, and Irving Irving was gone after the first game of that finals, and you know, and Love was gone, and Love was gone. Cleveland ended up winning two of the first three games, and then they they lost uh, three in a row after that. Uh, to yeah. that series, you know. So again, there, there's something to be said about being fully healthy when you're in the finals. Yeah, and it's funny because I feel like we didn't have these same kind of forgiving conversations or, or on the other side of the coin, even super critical conversations about Golden State. Oh, well, they're hurt. They should be able to win anyway. We didn't say that about Cleveland. LeBron never gets a pass, though. I mean, that's, 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 part of, part that's my part point. That's my there, point, right? though. Yeah, that's my point. Though, is he, he loses the other two 
And nobody talks about injuries like they're talking about Golden State right now. Part of here, I think, what's going on around the round table right now is I think we're all saying the same thing: is that I mean, yeah. the, the the way that Steph is is is, uh, is is being handled in the media here right now is is a little bit different, maybe than the way that uh, LeBron has been. Uh, but we're starting to see a little bit more of that, like that critical eye towards Steph being able to do it by himself. It's it's pretty it's getting pretty nasty actually in the in the American mainstream media, and that's sort of usually reserved just for LeBron. But the point being is like the, even the the great the greatest of great players by themselves, you know, although they still look great, they look a little more ordinary when they don't have a surrounding cast to help them by making big shots. Uh, they need something there with them. And your point about Steph Curry looking tired in Game 4, certainly, I think we all agree on that. It was 27 very tired points. Uh, six of his first, I think it was eight shots, hit front rim. So what does that tell you, right? It's a no lift, Blair, like just like you're talking about the lack of legs, right? Uh, in, in game four, hit front rim six times in the, in the, in the first half. Uh, and, uh, of course, none of those going in. So that's a big difference between the step that we were used to seeing and uh, sort of where he and maybe the rest of the team is right now. They look a little bit deflated. They look like a broken team by the end of the fourth quarter. I mean, there was 90 seconds to go in that game of game four, and the players looked like they didn't have it in them to come back. Fans were walking out of the Oracle. They were needed <laughs> 90 seconds to go uh, in, in an NBA Finals game in what's maybe your last game ever in your arena. Is there a larger sense of entitlement anywhere in any sport than your fans walking out with 90 seconds to go in the Finals game of the last game in your arena and, and you have and you have the Splash Brothers on the floor, and you're the old. I think they were only down nine points at the time. It was still a single-digit <laughs> game, and you're walking out. How entitled are you at your fifth visit to the finals? If you feel like that's a reasonable thing, like I get it, you got to beat the traffic, right? I could totally just see like a bunch of dads like, grabbing like the five-year-old, going, "Come on, we got to beat the traffic. <laughs> we got to get out before everybody else." Are you kidding? Go to, me? go to Staples Center. They don't even show up till halftime in the finals. Well, we got that problem, too, in Toronto, too. I mean, in Game 2, there was something to be said about that third quarter when the Raptors yeah. were getting uh, deflated and Warriors were going on their run. A lot of that, what we call Gucci Row in, uh, at, uh, at the Scotiabank place or Air Canada Center or whatever, was looking pretty empty. People were drinking their $18 whiskeys instead of being in, uh, in, 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 out there cheering on their team. I want to talk a little I bit... Call, these days, I call the 300s Gucci Row. Yeah, I mean, you got to have cash to go to the game these days. Some tickets are, I read today, some are going for 60 Gs. Okay, okay, can I I just interject for one second and tell you guys just a little personal anecdote, and you can feel for me if you want, uh, everybody out there, listeners. So I've I've been a season seed holder with the Toronto Raptors, and uh, this year, obviously, I've moved to Australia, so I gave up my season seats. I was part of a group of guys that we shared together. There was three of us. And so what would happen is we get to the playoffs, you know, we'd draw numbers from a hat. The first guy would get game one. The second guy would get game two. The next guy would get, you know, whatever, game five or whatever. And we just, just, just keep going one guy, one guy, one guy, one guy, all the way through the series. If I was at home in Toronto right now, I had game five for the NBA Finals. Oh my goodness me! Okay, let's get back to the actual things that people care about. So no one, no one feels sorry for me, I know. But just think about that. Not only am I on the other side of the world, I yeah, we see thing. your beach. We see your beach photos and everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> hey, 
to, to whoever has my two tickets to Game 5, enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment. All right, let's talk about the injury situation, because this is the big, the big news story over the, most of the series is the injuries to the Gold State Warriors. I want to talk about, um, you know, uh, Looney's return, Boogie's return, um, and I want to talk about the way in which the Warriors have been handling injuries. Uh, I'm on record, Blair, as you and I have talked about this a fair bit, of saying I think the Warriors are going to get fined by the NBA, and I think there's going to be some rule changes by the NBA in the offseason about how teams are reporting injuries. Just like there was a couple years ago in the NFL when the New England Patriots were hiding injuries with all types of uh, funny language and changing injury reports on Thursdays and Fridays about guys who were practicing and weren't practicing. The main reason being that it affects gambling spreads, and that's a very big part of business. Although the NBA has had a much harder line against gambling than the NFL and a much different relationship over the years, I still think that what Golden State has been doing has been a little bit wonky. I'm basically lying to the media and to the fan base uh, about who is actually available to play and not play. It may be an attempt to get a leg up on the Raptors. Uh, what are your thoughts on the on the on the injuries? Maybe the return of Looney, the return of Boogie. If it's been helpful or not helpful, and just how they're handling injuries in general. Let's go to you first, Greg. Um, a tweet came out pretty recently that uh, Durant's been cleared to practice ahead of Game Five, so the gamesmanship continues, and I think. Golden State's playing every card they have right now because they know their backs are against the wall and they're in trouble, and this Raptors team is not one that they can just show up and win. So I would love to see a little more um, control in the NBA of that situation and, and how it's been reported. I mean, it was essentially reported that Looney was out for the playoffs and he misses one game. Uh, I don't know. That seems a bit hard to believe that you would be that off in the medical reporting and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if this series results in any rule changes on that front moving forward because I think there's definitely something going on there, and it's part of the psychology. I mean, in some ways it's kind of fun if the there wasn't real dollar implications attached to it. If it was just, you know, take the gambling out, I kind of think it's sort of fun as a game of chess between two sides, but... Yeah, at the end of the day, you, you can't do that. So um, I feel it's interesting with, with DeMarcus Cousins, just how Jekyll and Hyde he is, and it's what you what you kind of expected. Um, I do think we're going to see Durant before the end of this series, and I think we're going to see – we're going to see Durant, I feel like, but also – Toronto is not going to just cower and be intimidated, and they've, they've shown that before. I think maybe a lot of people out there still think, hey, Durant comes back. It doesn't matter that the Warriors are down 3-1. They're going to just run with this thing, and I think the, the Raptors are a little different beast than anything they've faced in the past. So um, if Durant does play, I don't think we're going to see an intimidated Raptors bunch. When, when he comes back will be key because there, even the players as great as Kevin Durant, there's going to be some type of um, t- a, a, a assimilation time, I guess is the right. I don't know. Like, there needs, there needs to be, yeah, so there's going to be some rust. Or there might not be rust the first game he plays, just like we saw with Cousins, right? He might have a big bounce on that first game back. But then what happens is then, you, then, then the game finishes and the adrenaline's gone and then the and then the pain is there and the swelling is there and then you try to come back two days later and play the next game and you just can't move the same way you did. Right? So there, uh, 
if if Durant comes back to play Game Five, I'm not, I'd be much more interested to see what does he look like in Game Six and Game Seven. Does he actually have the stamina and how healthy is he that he can make it through uh, multiple games? Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on the injury situation? Uh, I agree with with Greg and with you and uh, with Blair and our other conversations that you know this this ultimately I think comes back to gambling and so you can't, you cannot upset a whole bunch of gamblers um, they'll take out knees if they need to uh, but at the same time it, it is a psychological game Mike, Mike we don't we, we don't we don't we don't talk about the family business at the dinner table they almost had the red pack but then they took out his knees. <laughs> so uh, I, I think there has to be obviously more transparency with uh, and more clear cut rules with the injury reports. It's, it's too wild and uh, moving back and forth. And it, if if it is an actual psychological game, like this, you know, this is some bush league psychout stuff, as they said in the Big Lebowski. Um, this isn't really working against the Raptors, right? The, the, the Raptors are are still winning the games, regardless of who Golden State is throwing uh, at them right now. So I, I, I think even psychologically, even if Durant is coming back, which I guess is, is the other psychological thing, leaking it into the press today. Uh, and if anybody has, has looked on, on Twitter and seen, you know, the reporters are analyzing, scrutinizing him, you know, videotaping his walks. You can see him walking into the arena today where he practiced. <laughs> and everybody, you know, everyone's tweeting, oh my gosh, Durant is limping. He still can't really walk. He's not going really gingerly. You know, and so I, I think even if he does come back, you're not getting 100% Kevin Durant. You're getting someone who is going to um, have a lot of rust. He hasn't played a game in over a month. He hasn't actually really practiced at a high level of intensity for over a month, and a, a good two and a half weeks of that, he probably wasn't walking very much uh, or very well uh, either. So you're you're getting a guy who's definitely hurting. Uh, and what we've seen with other guys who have just come back from these injuries, Boogie uh, or even Looney, uh, is that they've they're they are a shell of themselves, right? Like Boogie did great that first game back, and then the Raptors made adjustments and they went smaller and larger and faster uh, and they drew Boogie away from the key and they've just been going around him and he's looked out of place. Uh, and so he's, you know, game three, he plays 19 minutes. He's one of seven and scores four points and only gets three rebounds. Game four, he plays 15 minutes, you know, three of six for six points, two blocks and two rebounds. Like Boogie's been nothing in these last two games, uh, but a, a very large pylon on the floor that the Raptors have taken out because they're still going at full speed, and Boogie is not. Boogie's not even close to full speed. So you, you can see, and I, and I think you made up this great point, Steve, that you know, have, you, know it, you might have a great game out of Durant for Game 5, but once that adrenaline goes uh, and the swelling comes back and trying, you know, traveling across the country again on airplanes trying to get to that next game, you know, the, the lift isn't there, and the rest of the team around him is also really tired. You know, I, I, don't, I don't like the odds whether he comes back or not. Sorry, can I cut in here? I think one interesting thing about this series is the reminder to us as fans, as, as viewers, that at the end of the day, human beings are human beings. No matter how, uh, how heroic they seem or how much they seem like superheroes, you see it with Steph Curry, you're gonna, you, you see it with Boogie Cousins, you see, you're going to see it with Durant if he does come back, is... It's, no matter how outerworldly your talent is, there are certain factors that that come in that that you can't overcome. Just as 
as a person. And I think as we thought about this Raptors team, you kind of did have this superhero mentality as you thought about them a little bit. Like, well, they have so many guys on that team that can just show up and blow out the other team no matter what the circumstances are. And it's been kind of – it's been interesting to see some of that veneer crack a little bit. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. I was going to say that we've heard from Steve Kerr in post-match, both after Game 1 and Game 2 and Game 3, where he talks about just how fast the Raptors team is to play against, where you don't necessarily see it on TV, but when you see, when you play them in person, just they're extremely fast. And when you have all of these uh, you know, muscle injuries – quads and thighs and uh, I don't know what Durant is, Achilles or calf it's still undetermined what it actually is if the Warriors are telling the truth. I mean, that th- those are the things that speed can certainly exploit. And the other thing that occurs that is just, they're the most physical, the rappers are the most physical team that they've played all season. And that physicality, I mean, we, talk, we joked about sort of Kawhi Leonard blowing people up as he, as, as he crashes into the key, but that physicality over and over and over again is wearing and break, breaking down bodies. Blair, what are your thoughts on... Uh, uh, on, on the Warriors and their injury reporting and just the injuries in general in the series? Well, <clears throat> I think knowing David Silver and the way these things go, there will be a transition period with extended warnings. I don't think we're going to have, uh, as Mike may have insinuated, some sort of Luca Brasi <laughs> People end up sleeping with fishes. But uh, I will say, to me, Social media makes it really hard to parse through the facts and hearsay and or via NBA sources type of stuff that's going on here because I get in discussions with people and I've gone down a rabbit hole two or three times online out of discussions with people over the last 70-something hours about what statuses exactly are, where they're coming from. I can't tell a woge bomb apart from a truth bomb apart from a smokescreen anymore. And it's, it's almost like every hour is turned into the week before the NFL draft and people are just misinforming all over the place. Um, so, like, who is and who isn't directly providing false information to me would be with the issue about penalizing Golden State or enforcing something. And what's a mistake of diagnosis by the medical staff? Is it a mistake of PR? Like, when Kerr has already admitted he made a mistake to the media? I mean... What are you going to say? Sometimes you ask a player or a coach and they're in the heat of prep and everything and they're like, yeah, we really hope he'll be back on Thursday. Maybe the, maybe you turn around and the doctor looks and goes, like, does the throat slash motion? Like, nah, no way. But it's like, yeah, we really want him back. You know, um, is it a slip of tongue from a player like Looney kind of said about his injury? Um, I don't know what's finable in those cases, what's enforceable. Like, I hope I'm wrong, but I feel like this might be tiptoeing into the same messy state of existence as tampering has gotten to. Like, yeah. now, Doc, now Doc Rivers can't compliment the player at all. You know? Well, um, and, and, and they're both messes. I'm not trying to say that Doc Rivers shouldn't have been fine because the Clippers have been big players in the Kawhi situation. When he referred to Kawhi as Jordan, or as closest to Jordan is what I'm referring to, but... You know, these are the things that these are these two, it reminds me of that issue is there's some really gray mess here going on that they do need to address. I just don't know how to do it because for me on the outside right now, it's like, who do you criticize? Like, we heard the Woj bomb. Is it Woj that's wrong? Is it his source that's wrong? Which kind of also means the reporter's responsibility. Is it the team? Is it the medical staff? What is it? That's, for me, that's the hardest, most confusing part. 
Yeah, I'm waiting until I see an Instagram video of Kevin Durant doing P90X or riding a jet ski before I uh, get any more excited about the situation. Well, and I will go back. Um, I don't want to show my blue blood here or anything as a Michigan guy, but I don't know if you guys saw pregame with Jalen Rose before game four. He said he saw, like, some, much has been made of it. He saw Durant shoot around and did a head shake and was like, I don't think he'll be back. You know, to me, that's significant. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, uh, let's try and move through some, some quick talking points now to get through all the things you want to discuss before we roll to the end of the podcast. Let's actually, uh, we were going to talk about the idiot owner who pushed Kyle Lowry and how Kyle Lowry uh, handled it. But I mean, really, I, I think that we'll take that off the agenda and just keep moving and talk about the players and the games itself and leave the that kind of nonsense uh, of, uh, out for now. I, you know, because really, we've seen what we've seen. It's ridiculous. The NBA should deal with it. They should deal with it appropriately. And kudos to Kyle Lowry for for how he dealt with that. Let's instead talk about the players on the court who are playing the games themselves. Let's talk about some of the players that have really swung this series uh, across Game 3 and Game 4. In particular, let's talk about uh, Serge Baca and Kyle Lowry. At the In our last podcast, at the end of Game 2, we all said Kyle Lowry can do better and must do better for the Raptors to stand a chance to win. And we've seen that, and it's impacted it. And if we go back to the very beginning of the season, uh, one of the early tweets that I put out after the Kawhi Leonard trade was, uh, you know, if Serge Ibaka can play like Serge Ibaka, the Raptors can win the NBA title. And because I really felt that he, he, needed, he could be a difference maker as that additional piece defensively and in transition uh, to really uh, allow them to, to go at the big guns. We've seen Ibaka play fantastic in games. So Ibaka and Lowry uh, are, are my two nominations for sort of big-time game changers for games three and games four. What are your thoughts on their play or other guys you want to put forward as game changers? Greg? Yeah, Ibaka's impressed me the most just in the sense of I maybe forgot a little bit how good he can be. And I kind of... For some reason, you know, he's been in the in the league a long time now, and I kind of lose track of the fact that he's not a decrepit old man <laughs> in some ways, you know, because he, he does have those moments where you feel like he's sort of washed up and has a big contract and blah, blah, blah. Maybe washed up is, is too strong, but I've just been so impressed by his his confidence and what an enforcer he's been at the rim. I mean, game three was pretty pretty amazing, his shot-blocking ability and and how how hesitant people are to go to the rim and just the toughness he's bringing in terms of just like, yeah, I'm, I'm here and you're not, you're not getting any easy buckets when I'm on the court. So I think that's been really impressive for me is just the reminder of, hey, he's pretty good, and I think as Raptors fans, sometimes we get away from that um, as you skew on the negative when it comes to, to Serge Ibaka. Like, hey, he's still got he's still got a lot left in his tank, and uh, yeah, he's, he was pro- maybe MVP for Game 3 for me. I don't know. It's hard to say when Kawhi plays that you can never pick anyone other than Kawhi, but, you know, he's maybe MVP for Game 3 for me. In terms of Lowry, I thought he made every single decision perfectly in uh, Game 4, second half, and that was just wonderful to see. We saw so much in Game in, in, in game 2 and some in Game 3 of, of foul trouble and maybe getting in his own head and things like that. That second half of, 
of Game 4 was just wonderful in terms of every single right pass, defensively, just his decision-making was flawless, and that that was what impressed me the most for him. Mike, thoughts on Serge, uh, Lowry, other big players? Uh, uh, well, Serge Ibaka, you can, you can just see it. Um, and we, we talked a couple minutes ago about that, that physicality that the Raptors are bringing to all four of these games, and not only how fast they are, but just how much they're punching Golden State in the mouth. And, and Ibaka is one of those guys that's doing that. Like, if you look at any one of the block shots, it's, he's not shying from contact either. He's running people over uh, and knocking them down at the same time. So he's, he's definitely been a force uh, to deal with. Uh, for the Raptors, you know, six block shots, even if those are all just two-point shots, that's a 12-point, you know, swing, especially if the Raptors, uh, I don't know the stat of how many they scored afterwards, but uh, it felt like the Raptors got the ball after each one of those and went down and, and scored, right? So that's that's a huge uh, swing of momentum, and it gets the guys fired up when uh, when something like that happens, too. Um, and then to come out the next game in Game 4 uh, and just have the game that he did where he, he just, he, he, when he was on the floor, he was just, he was electric, uh, and making all the right decisions, hitting big shots, and we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you know, timely shots, um, like like they weren't nothing, like there was something that was meant to happen for him, um, something that he had done his whole life sort of thing. Um, so Serge Ibaka was, was definitely great. Um, and I, I think when it, when it comes to Lowry, I think I'm head and tails right now with, uh, with how I feel about him. Um, you know, the, the first two games, we, we made a point that, you know, he had 11 fouls in the first two games. He fouls out of game two, you know, but he only has seven fouls in the last two games. So he's definitely cleaned up that aspect uh, of his game. Uh, he has a great uh, game three, you know, 23 points, nine assists, uh, and, and he's looking wonderful, right? But, you know, game four, he, he doesn't have uh, the same sort of, uh, I think, uh, impact, at least on the scoreboard. Um, and I, I think what I've... My, my problem, I think, with Lowry right now is when we look at sort of this series as a whole, um, and if we take away, you know, game three, which he was amazing, you know, as, as a whole, this series, he's 13 points a game, seven assists and three rebounds. He's shooting 33% from the floor, 30% from three-point land. But if you go back to the Milwaukee series, he's 19 points a game, 50% from the floor, 50% from three. You know, and that's one thing the Raptors have been missing is is this Lowry uh, from the Milwaukee series. Um, and I think really with, with the exception of, of game three, um, Lowry hasn't been, um, you know, the, the same player. You know, he had 10 points and seven assists in game four. He, he just had, you know, three of the four games, Lowry hasn't been great. And luckily the Raptors have had other guys stepping up and being difference makers. And yet still the Raptors lead this series 3-1 and probably could have and should have swept the series. So I want nobody talking about how Golden State doesn't have their best players playing their best basketball because despite I mean, Lowry is the second best player on this Raptors team. You know, he is a what, five-time All-Star. I mean, Siakam is, is turning into a great player in front of us, but he is not the number two on this team. And still, without yeah. all of that, we find, we find the Raptors in this position. So just to, to add a quick stat to that, Lowry in game four is three of 12 from the floor and 0 for four from three-point land. And they still find a way to win this game, right? So, wow. Blair? Yeah, I'll follow up on what you guys were talking about with Ibaka and Lowry. Um, I thought Ibaka kind of turned things around at one point during the finals, and I thought he kind of overcame some dreadful fouling in games two and three. And even early in game four, he had a couple of just idiotic, dreadful fouls. Um, but, you know, Greg was talking about you forget the player he used to be, and etc. I thought, I thought 
Ibaka was kind of tapped back into some of his OKC days when he was capitalizing on chaos, getting loose balls, offensive rebounding, throwing out one of those weird dribble stepbacks or some other weird scoring play he'd spit out every quarter and a half or so when the Thunder went to the finals against the Heat. Um, he's feeling the vibe of what this team is about and what it needs now. I think he had to, as the term I often used on our podcast, is, you know, is he's had to go bosh, right? And the term we use is going bosh, which is now basically when you become a stretch four or a stretch five. And Ibaka used to thrive as a potential defensive player of the year more as a post-presence. And I think it's taken him maybe a lot longer than a lot of other players of his stature has to adjust, to feel where his spots are and his opportunities are. But I think it shows in these finals that he's starting to get a feel for it because once you make that adjustment, the blocks and the post presence that he's been showing, it really becomes about timing and intuition and feeling the sense of your whole team. And I think he's kind of started turning it around. But thankfully, after, like I said, a lot of really dumb fouls, um, with Lowry, um, <clears throat> I don't know, the Raptors have been so interesting to watch these playoffs because I find they kind of, they're kind of on the edge of a blade in the sense of Kawhi heavy or ball movement. And it's a very tough kind of balance to find. And a lot of times when they struggle, I feel like they don't find that balance well enough. And a lot of that tension, honestly, I think comes from Lowry getting a feel for how to vibe with Kawhi's pick and roll, other, you know, being the other guard wing or at least the one and two in the ball control department. And he often had trouble figuring it out with, the, with DeMar DeRozan, but he did. Now Leonard is a different adjustment altogether, even if both guys score a lot from mid-range. And Lowry was really doing a good job in the last two games of making the right cuts, sagging off or coming to the ball at the right times, dictating space in tandem with Kawhi. You know, I'm never... I don't know, I'm never a fan of the, people talk about it a lot lately, the hustle or the little things compliment as a top player's strength. I mean, mind you, Charles Barkley almost once got punched in the face by Charles Oakley for saying that you don't talk about a good player because of their hustle. Um, but with Lowry, I find Lowry's a very holistic player, I guess is the word. Like, he needs to be doing everything well and be dialed in. So when you do see him doing those little things, diving, etc., it usually means he's doing the other more top player responsibilities you need him to do on this Raptors team's more. And I thought it really shone through in game four. He, he really had a good sense of what to do with the pick and roll vis-a-vis Leonard. All right. I'll, I'll, I'm going to smush together the last couple of points on our agenda because I think they all kind of come together and give us a chance to kind of talk about where the series is going. But I want to do it through this, through this particular lens. I thought in the third quarter of game four, the Raptors broke the Warriors. They scored scored the Warriors 37-21, to 21, and I think that was the moment when we really saw that, there, you know, there's there's a new champion coming to town. Now, things may change. Well, you know, that's always the possibility, but we're talking about the evidence that we have in front of us. And I thought a big part of the Raptors breaking the Warriors in that quarter was Nick Nurse out-coaching Steve Kerr to start that third quarter. You know, going into the half, the Raptors had the lead when Golden State was pushing, and it looked like we were going to have a bit of a battle come the third quarter. And then, coming out of there, he, he rolled out Ibaka and Siakam in tandem, right? Even though Gasol had been, you know, pretty effective, although in limited minutes in the first half, had been fairly effective. And in Game 3, Gasol was one of your best offensive players. He went Siakam and Ibaka and really just punished the Warriors 
for their uh, lack of yeah. physicality and speed and the fatigue that was there. And I thought that that was a series-changing set of decisions from the coach. So my questions to you is, you know, uh, how do you see how do you, how do you, how do you see what Nurse is doing here at Kerr, and then how does that play out for the remainder of the series? Uh, let's go, Blair. Blair, then Mike, then Greg. Blair. Um, yeah, I thought when he brought out that Siakam Ibaka lineup, he hadn't really done that much yet, and it kind of reminded me at times in in recent previous finals when Kerr had kind of initially held out certain depth lineups or certain iterations. And then just came through like like a heel on the throat, just like oh yeah okay like your guys aren't moving well enough your guys as I said before your guys your guys don't have lift well check out watch these guys you know and that's no slight on Gasol but what I think to me what watching it wasn't just that lineup but to me it was the Raptors in general and it was. It was very interesting because I think you guys know I'm not much of a homer. I, I respect I respect ball where it deserves to be respected. And the Raptors has done an amazing job, and it was something beautiful to watch because what I think we're seeing is the fruition of what I think they might have, they might boast in the NBA the most length, athleticism, versatility roster there is, other than maybe a health of Golden State, and maybe even then not, right? I mean, that's why the Gasol trade happened. He has more athleticism and veteran savvy and versatility than we all love the cowbell. But let's be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, yep. This, yep. this is the patience with Serge Ibaka's outsized contract because that's, I think, one of the reasons why Ibaka gets a lot of flack is because he's getting paid a lot. But he's bringing it now with his length and athleticism and versatility. This is partly why Siakam has been a deal breaker in trade talks for the last year with San Antonio for Kawhi and in the Gasol trade, and who knows where else. And I think it's, in a way, a response to the versatility and length that the Warriors have pushed to the next level across the league, especially after getting Durant. And Ujiri might just have been thinking about the East. I don't know, but the moves dovetail with a reach at what the current maybe dynasty has set it as, as a standard. And Nick Nurse, um, what is the quote? They mentioned it during the last game. Something like they've given him a Ferrari or Lamborghini to drive. He just hopes he drives it well enough. He is driving it well enough. You know, and, but I think it's, I, I have a hard time, I don't want to take anything away from Nurse. He's doing a great job, but I just think I have a hard time separating it from the whole picture because Nurse is doing a great job, but it's also just everything is coalescing and coming together at just the right time, and it's really almost, I, I'm, I hate being corny, but it's almost magical to watch. Mike, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, after the the first couple of games, you know, we, we had talked about how, you know, Nick Nurse, you know, how good is, is he as a coach? What, what can he do in terms of um, coming up with adjustments? Uh, and what we had saw over the first few series is that, you know, after the first couple of games, Nick Nurse sat down, watched some tape, uh, and made a series of, of adjustments. And we're seeing it again in, in this series uh, and how different Toronto is playing uh, you know, game three and four, uh, and how they're executing uh, is different than in, in games one and two, and not only in this series, but the Milwaukee series and the Philadelphia series. Uh, and you're seeing, I think, Nick Nurse come into his own in terms of uh, of, of making this team uh, adjust to the, the situation, but also playing uh, their strengths. So I, I give a lot, of, a lot more respect to Nick Nurse um, than I did in the last uh, couple of podcasts uh, for, for what he's done in these last two games going into uh, Golden State. Um, 
and sort of to give you some sort of stats on on where they are in all of this, um, Toronto, their offensive rating uh, in this playoffs is 115.1, which is better than any LeBron James-led team against Golden State in in, in any at any time. Uh, the Raptors are are third in the defensive rating, whereas Golden State right now is 11th out of 16 playoff teams. So you, you can definitely see that the the Raptors are are out hustling them and out playing them on on both ends of the floor. Um, and I guess going back to that that third quarter of Game Four where the Raptors broke the Golden State Warriors, it's because they scored 37 points on 23 possessions. Oh. <laughs> That wow. is the most efficient quarter of either team. <laughs> wow! So it, it, it tells you what what they're doing, and you know what, coaching has a lot to do with it. They come out of halftime, and, and you know, I don't know how much of this is coaching and how much of this is Kawhi, but Kawhi Leonard comes out and says, "Okay," and he hits two threes just back to back, and uh, those were those were massive. And you know, we we had talked, or I had talked um, the first time we had the podcast about how you know. Uh, this series, you know, felt a lot like the Detroit against the Lakers series, um, but it's actually starting to feel a lot like the San Antonio team that Kawhi Leonard was on when they beat the Heat. In, in you know Miami's fourth finals in a row, San Antonio comes in, wins Game One, blows it out. You know, Game Two is a close one, and Miami wins that game, uh, and then they blow them out Game Three and Game Four on the road on Miami's home court, uh, and then they finish the series at home. Uh, so Kawhi's done this before, everybody. You know what, though, guys, if I may interject for a second, Mike brings up the comparison with the LeBron teams. I don't think it's a stretch of any kind. The Raptors roster, 7-8 deep, is better than any of those Cavs teams. They're definitely healthier than any of those Cavs teams, for sure. You know? yes. That's But even then, But even then, you have the LeBron sequence of three guys in a bum parade, whereas the Raptors are not built that way. Uh, kudos to Mike that San Antonio analogy was is a good one. So, probably you. on that. <laughs> I, I, Nick Nurse is is funny, you know. Like he's such an unassuming guy. He's got that Iowa personality where he just you know doesn't try to be anything that's not. He doesn't try to sound super sophisticated when he's speaking or anything like that. Um, but you know he's a really intelligent, unconventional coach, and uh, I think when people look back on Nick Nurse in ten years, something like that, some of the offensive implementations he's he's made to the game and the way that he's what he's brought to the game as an offensive mind, starting in the D League back in Great Britain, the whole thing is interesting, and I think his backstory is really interesting in how it's prepared him for for what he is today in the sense that he's he spent 10 years, you know, mostly in Great Britain, and then he was in the G League, and I, I think he said something to the effect of when you coach in the minor leagues for so many years, you never know who's going to be on the court up until about an hour before the game. And it's allowed him to really be able to think on his toes and to not be too set in any one game plan. And we've been seeing that with this series and, you know, his decisions of taking Danny Green out and start the third quarter in games three and four and just his his 
willingness to be unconventional and to make decisions based on how things are going rather than on any sort of ego or on any pre-described game plan that he has in mind is, is really impressive and the thing I probably like the most about him. All right, let's go around the table now for uh, closing thoughts. Anything we missed or anything you want to get in before we're all said and done? Uh, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot more to add. I mean, I would think – I think the one thing I wanted to know was I saw uh, Steph Curry getting interviewed the day after the Game 3 loss. This was with Chris and Ludlow on NBA TV. Take this for what you will, but this is what he said. Hopefully we can outlast them. They're playing well right now, and we got to do something about it. Outlast them. Um, that could be potential bulletin board material, in my opinion, because it does just does sound like we've got to outlast them. We're hurt. We're whatever. We're just trying to get through this thing. I think it's over with Game 5. I, there's another part of me that feels like the Warriors might have slagged off a bit, and they'll really bring something in Game uh in game five just so that they can make sure that they're like, no, we're not going to leave Oracle like that. But uh, the way the Raptors are playing right now, and as I was saying, their roster, the way the writer rosters coalesced, the way all the guys, it, it seems like somebody is struggling almost every game, but they always just seem, whether it's Kawhi doing the huge load or whether they're compensating in other places, they just seem to be able to... They're figuring out how to get it done. Credit to Nick Nurse, credit to everything else. And I just, it, it's hard to see them losing at this point. Even if even if KD does come back, because as Greg pointed out, you know, or as, as we've all pointed out, you don't just get a, you get a rusty KD. Um, but the way the Raptors are playing right now, to be honest with you, I'm not sure a healthy KD beats them on Monday night. Mike? So of all the things that we've talked about in today's podcast, no one has talked about one thing that is definitely going to swing the series in the Raptors' favor and the Raptors' winning, is that if Kawhi Leonard repeats Game 4, if he repeats the stat line of 36 points on 11 of 22 shooting, 5 of 9 from 3-point land, 9 for 9 from the free throw line, 12 assists, sorry, twelve rebounds, 2 assists, 4 steals, and a block, the Raptors are going to win. Yeah. The Golden State Warriors, for four <laughs> games, have held Kawhi Leonard... And we have not seen the same Kawhi Leonard that we have seen throughout the entire playoffs. And it's been blamed a lot on Kawhi's injuries. Um, but Kawhi has found a way with the injuries to be a presence in every game. And we don't really see it all the time. But we saw it so much in Game 4, and no one's talking about that. So if Kawhi does the same thing again in Game 5, if Golden State can't find a way to stop him, because if he goes off for 36 again, that opens up all sorts of lanes for people like Ibaka and for Siakam. Um, and and that's just going to change a lot of things. And my, my hope for the next game is that we see the Danny Green of Game 3 and not the Danny Green of Game 4, or Game 2, or Game 1. Uh, <laughs> And may, may I just say, too, may I just say, too, because I think you're right, Mike, and Lord, someday bring us 100% Kawhi Leonard in an NBA Finals, what will that be? If, what will that look like? So, my, yeah. my, my prediction, I guess, is, you know, I don't, I don't think it really matters who Golden State is going to put out in this game. They're going to come out fired up. This is their must-win game, and it's going to be a really difficult first half for the Toronto Raptors. And if they can do the same thing that they did in game four, which is, you know, stem the tide, and they're probably going to shoot that in the first quarter, but if they can find their legs again, uh, and they they can actually take this game, and I, I don't see why they can't, even if Durant comes back. 
Hey, Greg? I have the feeling about the Raptors team like I did about the, the Mavericks in 2011. You know, at some point they did just kind of break LeBron, and and you just know no matter – once that momentum crosses a certain threshold, you just kind of know. You get, a, you get a sixth sense that it's just game over, and I feel like the Raptors are at that place right now where the snowball's rolling down the hill so fast and so powerful that nothing's going to stop them. So I definitely think they're going to win the championship. Um, I hope Durant doesn't play, and then he just immediately trolls Draymond Green after saying, I thought you didn't need me, uh, just just for the soap opera part of the thing. So that's what I'm hoping happens. All right. Well, I want to say a big thanks to the World Wide Roundtable, Blair Miller, Mike Gennaro, uh, Craig Mason. You can follow them on Twitter at TF. Quarter at Michael Gennaro and at Bordrio Hoops. Certainly at 3 1, it looks like the Raptors have everything in cruise control and are moving their way towards the Larry O'Brien Trophy, a trophy that they have deservingly, I think, won uh, over the course of the playoffs. They have been the best team in the NBA since the start of the playoffs. They had to fight to beat Orlando. They had to fight to be a good Philly team. They had to fight to be the best team in the NBA this year, the Milwaukee Bucks. And now they are fighting against not only uh, the Western Conference champions, but the team of a generation. We're talking about a team who, over the last five years, has been to the NBA Finals five times and who is also fighting with history. And this is the danger the Raptors find themselves in. Um, my brother Mike had mentioned that you can expect Golden State's best quarter to be the first quarter of Game 5 against Toronto because everything is on the line. This is a team who is not just fighting for their season, and they are not just fighting for a chance to remain inside the NBA Championship Finals to, to, to get back to Oracle to fight another game in their stadium, which is closing. They are also fighting for history. They are fighting for the three-peat. They are fighting for that third title. They are fighting for their legacy because what will the legacy of the Golden State Warriors be if they lose to the Toronto Raptors? Yes, they have been to five straight finals and yes, they will have two rings, but the story that will also follow them will have to be one that addresses the fact that in 2015 when they won their first ring, Kevin Love missed the finals. Kyrie Irving went out in game one and missed the, f- the final five games and they happened to, to, to you know, do the business and get the ring. In 2016, they made made history with the greatest individual season of any team in in the NBA. But in the finals, when they had a little bit of adversity and lost Draymond Green for a couple games, they didn't do the business, and they lost and did not win the ring. In 2017, they come back, they add Kevin Durant to the team, they go 15-0 and to start the NBA playoffs and finish 16-1 and in the playoffs, the, you know, the greatest single playoff season of any championship team. But how about the fact that against San Antonio in Game 1, they were down 23 points before Kawhi Leonard got injured. Kawhi Leonard leaves the game with San Antonio up 23 in Game 1 and doesn't return for the rest of the series. Warriors go on to come back and win that Game 113-111 and sweep San Antonio. 2018, Rockets with the best record in the West and in the NBA, up 3-2 in the Western Conference Finals. Late in that game, uh, 5 where the Rockets are a win, Chris Paul goes down, misses Game 6, misses Game 7, Warriors come back and Warriors win. I guess what I'm saying is, we've never seen the Warriors beat a healthy opponent in a big series. We've only seen the Warriors along the way uh, benefit from advantageous rosters. Now, I'm not saying they're not a great team. They're the best team that I've seen since Jordan's Bulls. 
I'm going to say that. They are the best team I've seen since Jordan Bulls. And they are comparable with any of the dynastic teams we've seen in the NBA over the last four decades that I've been watching basketball. Great players. Clay, Steph, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, great coach, Steve Kerr. And they've earned everything they've got to this point. But don't give me a narrative that Toronto doesn't deserve to be where they are or that they are somehow benefiting from a flip of the coin and that if everybody's healthy from Golden State, Toronto shouldn't be there and they don't deserve what they're going to get. No, Toronto will lift the trophy by the time this is all said and done and they will have earned it. And it won't be because Kevin Durant couldn't play and it won't be because injuries didn't go the right way for Golden State. It'll be because since the beginning of the playoffs, there's been no better team than the Toronto Raptors. You've seen Steph Curry's best playoff game ever and it wasn't enough. You've seen Clay Thompson's best game in these NBA Finals, and it wasn't enough. And you may see Kevin Durant come in and play his best game of the playoffs too, and i got news for you folks, it also won't be enough. I said after Game 2, the Warriors cannot win 3 of 5 against this Raptors team. I said after Game 3, they cannot win 3 of 4 against this Raptors team. And I'm fairly certain now that they cannot win 3 of 3. Now, if you're the homer for the Warriors, or you want to believe that there's that this can change, absolutely. The Warriors do not need to win three games to lift the title. They only need to win one game three times. Go to Toronto, win that game, come back to Oracle, now you're riding high. Win that game, push it to seven, yeah, then maybe Durant comes back and just have a, a, a one-off performance, and you can lift the title. It's absolutely possible. However, here's why it's not. Because in this finals, there have only ever been two teams. There's been the Raptors team who makes shots, and they've won three games. And there's been the Raptors team who didn't make shots, and they've lost one game. There's only one team in this series, folks. It's the Toronto Raptors, soon to be NBA champions. Until next time, be nice to each other and to your bus driver. I'm PhD Steve. Peace. I don't know. Either I'm off my nut or he is. Or you are. Is that your final answer? Damn, I'm good! Can you feel that? Huh? Can you feel it, Captain Compost? I can hardly contain myself! You know, before this is over, I'm gonna need a whole lot of serious therapy. Man, I'm tired of being right. Inconceivable! Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted, 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.